start recording. Welcome to Ethereal Underground. I'm your host, TNT, and this is episode 32. Doesn't take long for episodes to start uh, piling up. I had mentioned several episodes back that there are few people who would have part two, part three, because there's so much information to cover, and I wanted the guests back so we can continue the conversation. And this is part two of Crypto Cowboy, or Nick. And in the original interview, Nick gave us the background information. So we won't need to get into that. We can go straight into uh, part two. There have been some interesting developments since we had him on with his first appearance. So I thought we could maybe touch on a couple things about uh, recent economic events, uh, geopolitical, and then we'll navigate from there probably into more philosophical discussion because Nick's perfectly capable of doing that. He's probably one of the top four guests that I've had since I started Ethereal Underground that has the ability to carry such a complex conversation. Not everyone can do that, so that's a compliment to Nick. So Nick, with that being said, uh, how are you? And welcome to Ethereal Underground, episode 32. Oh, I'm stellar, uh, especially after such a, a generous introduction. Those are very kind words, thank you. Well, you deserve it. You're, uh, you're very easygoing. You're easy to have a conversation, easy to interview which that helps me, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, your, your knowledge base is uh, appreciated. And I like that. in, in the uh, guests that I have, there's oh, never any wrong answer because I'm basically asking your perspective, your viewpoint. And when I have uh, guests on such as yourself, I enjoy listening and picking your brain getting your uh, viewpoint because I don't have a monopoly. In fact, one thing that I've always done is I've been a good listener and I'm good at uh, asking for help or getting other people's uh, perspective and doing that. I'm able to help in my research. It helped inventions that I've had over the years. So I certainly never claim full credit. I always give credit to my peers and individuals uh, that I call friends and associates. So I, I consider you a, a friend and an associate. We talked before we started recording, just briefly, when we uh, pre-interview, we hopped on. Before we get into some interesting philosophical discussions, since our last interview, we've had um, in the United States, midterm elections, first part of November, but during that time period, there is an interesting financial economic development that's kind of right up your alley, 
with a, a scandal, I have my thoughts. You, yours will be better than mine, or, or you might even correct me uh, on my, my viewpoint, which is fine. But the uh, cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, because you're skilled in all economic matters, whether it's you know precious metal, stock market, certainly crypto, crypto cowboy, your handle on Rogue News. Right. But uh, there's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos, YouTube, other platforms, alternative platform, podcasts that exploded recently on the FTX scandal. So I wanted to get... Your t I know you probably already went into detail with, with Rogue News, so you don't maybe just touch the highlights for the ethereal underground audience, what your perception was, and um, and maybe uh, guide me through. I'll just make this simple statement, and then you can guide me through and correct as need be. It seems to me that this, uh, if this was a fairly new exchange around 2019 or so, it seems like this was a very sophisticated international crime corporate structure where they had uh, two nitwits running this, some frizzy haired kid that jiggled a lot uh, during interviews and, and some howdy doody sister or whatever uh, that willy nilly threw billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars around and, and investment fund didn't know what she was doing. But there was involvement in Ukraine, which we know is a very a wonderful, upstanding, uh, very transparent country, right? Especially with finances. And then oh, yeah. the Democratic Party or maybe Democratic and, and rhino Republicans, but, uh, you know, the wholesome, upstanding people in Washington, D.C. So uh, I think the complexities are very vast. So that this probably, again, you can correct me. Uh, and then I'll let you give your expertise. This is way bigger than MF Global, seems to me, isn't it? Or anything that Bertie Madoff did as far as uh, scope and size? As far as scope and size, um, uh, you know, one thing about these dealings that that I hold kind of in reserve mentally is that the the scope of these things is probably farther and deeper than we'll ever know. Um, I think... Madoff, I think the numbers were a little higher in a sense from a pure um, from a, pu a pure accounting standpoint. I think his numbers were a little higher, but since that time, uh, finance has become so much more interconnected with um, with derivatives mm -hmm. that the contagion uh, is probably much much more widespread on the current situation with FTX. Right. And, and and I think, you know, I'm not, I should have those numbers in front of me, but I want to say FTX is more than half the size of what Madoff did, if, if I'm not mistaken, but I'd have to, I'd have to look that up. And again, it's <clears throat> when you start to get into the complexities of the, you know, of the interconnectedness of, you know, this company has this much stake in that company that also has this much stake and it's all at this much leverage. It really begins to become murky as to how big it really is financially number wise. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you, uh, again, no wrong answers. I'm asking your viewpoint. But uh, on this FTX exchange, this cryptocurrency 
see exchange. Does it seem to you that that was strictly set up with a financial entity or a, a financial platform, cryptocurrencies, which aren't exactly regulated to the extent all the other financial markets are, that you have this wild, wild west cryptocurrency that this FTX exchange was set up deliberately to to siphon off and funnel money and laundry money and get it in people's uh, back pockets in a stealth manner. What, what what would you, what's your thoughts on what does FTX, what was the purpose of this popping up? Wasn't 2019 it popped up? It is. Um, and, and again, everything that we're going to talk about is all alleged because it's not gone through a court of law. So there's no right. official pronouncements or no convictions. And so we can't say that this is fraud. We can't say that this is anything for sure. Uh, but we can sure as heck tell you what it looks like. Uh, and yeah, 2019 is the the kind of the beginning of FTX is interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I want to give the audience an idea of just a real basic idea of what it takes to open a regulated exchange in the United States. Now you have, when you're trading, you could do two types of trading. Well, there actually are many types, but to really break it down into two basic worlds, you have spot trading and you have leverage trading, right? So spot trading is when you are buying and selling uh, the underlying asset and you're not borrowing money in order to do so. Meaning that if you want to buy a thousand dollars worth of a stock, or anything else, you're using a thousand dollars. So then you're, you know, the amount that you own is just that underlying asset. But there's also leverage where you can borrow money um, in some markets. You know, I don't know, I don't. Twelve times, ten times is an awful lot of leverage. If I'm going to use leverage in trading, I tend to keep it around two times to three times. In the world of crypto, that's pretty tame. Um, they have options for not options is the wrong term, but you have the ability to borrow as much as a hundred times and sometimes more in oh, leverage. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. If you're doing a hundred times leverage on crypto, you're asking to get wiped out and, oh, and yeah. to really, you know, make it simple for people who are not in the world of trading. Leverage is something that very few people understand, but to, to, to bring it to an example that everybody does understand is buying a home. So if you want to buy a home in a spot, type of a sense. And you find a million dollar home, then you have a million dollars of your own money. But if you want to use leverage on a home, then you put down, say, uh, with a conventional loan, you put down $200,000. And of course, they're going to qualify you. Um, you know, any any lending house that is of any repute is going to, and really that's following the law, is going to look at your income and they're going to look at your assets and they're going to make sure that you can afford the mortgage and that you then you get to borrow 80% of the money, right? So, and then you pay that money back over a period of time. Well, that's leverage, except with trading, you are actually going to complete that trade within anywhere from minutes to days, three minutes, hours, days, weeks, generally not beyond years with leverage. Uh, or, you know, some people might use leverage with expiring contracts over a month or a year or two. I mean, there's, you know, but most people in crypto and places like that, they're, they're getting out within a day or two or a week or two. Um, and they're using higher amounts of leverage. So this is an important thing to understand because we're going to go back to talk about the difficulty of getting an exchange in the U.S. of actually opening, starting, 
spinning up and getting and, and the key thing is getting permission to have a crypto exchange in the United States is extremely difficult. It takes you got to pay off so many people. Um, you got to you got to you got to let the mafia wet its beak. And, and I'm sorry, but that's just you know the mafia and the government they have one main difference, and that that's one of them actually writes the laws of the land. Everything else is pretty similar. So you know, in this sense, it, I mean, like Binance, you know, to to get an exchange in the United States. Binance is the largest crypto exchange on earth. Mm-hmm. They operate all over the world. And there was a period of time where United States traders could actually work, go on Binance without having to really do anything. Um, and then after a while, they required you to KYC when those laws came in, which means you have to verify who you are and all that kind of thing. They have to make sure you're not a bad person. And then you were allowed to even trade with leverage. But then the United States went ahead and put some pressure on Binance and they had to open an exchange in the United States. And it took, I don't know how much money and a lot of legal work. And you had to talk to politicians and it took months and months and maybe even more than a year or two, yeah, but they finally, op- what's that? I remember that. Yep. That was a big deal. And they opened up Binance US. So this is, you know, and there's no, I mean, I don't want to say they had unlimited funds, but there's no shortage of funds for them, for Binance to, to do that. So to, I want to make it understood how hard it is to open up an exchange in the U.S. with crypto, and no one's done it with leverage, or very few. So, or, I mean, no one that I can think of. Now, FTX, and as the story goes, and this, this actually came, um, th- what's really neat about this FTX story and all these alleged things that happen is that we're in this new advent of crowdsourced information, um, you know, the the Chan boards, you know, Twitter, Reddit, there's just information everywhere. And off of 4chan came the information that on April 25th, 2019, Joe Biden announced his presidential campaign. 13 days later, on May 8th, 2019, Sam Bankman Freed, son of Barbara Freed, who is a, a major Democrat donor, uh, he launched the FTX crypto exchange. So this exchange is an overnight success and enables Sam to become the second biggest donor to the Biden campaign. Mind you, the only bigger donor than him is George Soros. Soros, yeah. You know, so this is this is just the beginning of of so many things that are you know, uh, it, it makes you think like, okay, this is all alleged, and what I'm about to say is no one's confirmed anything, but you know, if it walks like a duck and it talk quacks like a duck so it's like okay you actually have to kind of look into who um his mom is his mom actually is the co-founder this is sam bankman freed's mom barbara freed is the co-founder of the political fundraising organization called mind the gap and get out the vote and they include the center for voter information major democrat donors so it's kind of like all this and he was born on Stanford campus and his parents are both Ivy leaguers and his mom is like, uh, I forget what his dad teaches, but I think it's similar, but his mom is, is like some kind of like a professor or something of economic and monetary theory. And, you know, so these are, okay. So the, the Ivy league school situation um, it's been said by so many that this is not a place to, it's not that important or it's not as important for your financial future to get the education itself at the Ivy league schools, although the education there is great, I'm not putting it down, but what's more important is that the connections that you make, it's the people you go to school with. Right. That's true. I always tell people, uh, 
I went to Poison Ivy League College. <laughs> oh, where's that? So, uh, well, I did go to an Ivy League college, uh, but I'll keep it quiet which one okay. it is. But I always tease it. Uh, yeah, I went to Poison Ivy League College. It's a it's a very prestigious private college. But um, you're right, 100% correct, Nick. In those schools, it's connections that you make and, and uh, friendships. Uh, professors, alumni of those big schools. And then uh, as you get older, then maybe a lot of your classmates work their way up in politics or in uh, corporate structures. And a phone call from an old college mate goes a long way. So I didn't mean to steer you off from that. but No, it's, that's correct. Cool. I mean, my, my girlfriend went to, Col uh, to Colby. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was at school in California and she just was taking like a year off cause she could, cause her family's rich. Um, her dad was some mucky muck at a major financial institution. And, um, yeah, her friends were like, oh yeah, you know, my, my friend at school is like dad is CEO of McDonald's, you know, that's, that's just the, you know, the who's who, you mm -hmm. know, if you're the, the political class or the, the higher upper crust are going to send their kids to Ivy league schools. It's just, that's the way of it. And speaking my father, of her, my father, for example, he, he went to an Ivy League school. He went to Lehigh University. He was classmates with Lee Iacocca. So oh, wow. But go ahead. I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, Lee uh, brought, uh, brought uh, Mopar from the brink back in the 80s, didn't he? Yeah. And I, I read his, his book and it was very interesting. He, all those years with Ford, Ford Motor Company that hired him. Um, uh, when he graduated Lehigh University and his success at Ford and then Ford Jr. was jealous of him. You know, a lot of politics and how he, how he was treated. And then the uh, interesting story when he inherited the, the mess that Chrysler was in and uh, what he had to go through to pull that company out from bankruptcy. Very, that's why I think the true life stories are, always more interesting than made up Hollywood stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, caravan, the Dodge caravan was a big uh, turning point for them. Absolutely. That's the, the caravan. They're the first ones people might not remember. They're, they invented the minivan. They uh, first ones with the caravan absolutely turned the company around. And then he had those series of K cars, which were, uh, they weren't very attractive, but they were functional, economical. And between the, the minivan and the, the K car series was all it took to get the cash flow. And then he was the first one to come out with the five-year, 50,000-mile warranty and stood, right. stood behind it. And the other motor companies, at best, had maybe 30,000-mile warranty. So between those two automobiles and that warranty, it uh, – saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs because not only Chrysler employees, but everyone, the uh, satellite subcontractors, you know, that would provide maybe interiors and components and parts and blinkers and that Chrysler used, they would have all been out of work. So his efforts. And then when he called back all of his old buddies from Ford and convinced them to come out of retirement to turn that company around, there's not many, men 
like that or that generation because he's part of that generation with my dad that's called the uh, greatest generation. Yep. I think the, uh, who is that uh, broadcaster that retired NBC that wrote that book, the greatest generation, Tom Brokaw. I, you know, I'm not sure who wrote that. I think Tom Brokaw wrote that book and he was talking about like my dad and Lee Iacocca, that generation. And well, let you get back to uh, talking about FTX, but this does tie in because I think today the, the way corporate corporations are run and the type of, culture the type of ceos cfos cto cso's that we have today is definitely not the same breed of my dad's generation and lee iacocca so i think uh corporations to me are a lot more sketchy than back back then but that's just that's just my thought but well, go it's, ahead. it's a it's a product of the environment um yeah. and that's going to be i think I think it might be something for us to consider once we kind of wrap up the FTX and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because FTX yeah, has been, up all the show. it would, well, it would take up the show, but um, you know, we, we broke it on rogue like before anybody really that I know of, uh, you know, we, we broke it early, but on the same time, you know, you could just now type in FTX and you'll get the whole thing. It's again, the crowdsourcing of information is, is really remarkable. Um, I'll gloss over, some of the the main points here um sam bankman freed he's i mean i've watched him interview i've watched him you know people were putting this guy on high as if he was going to save the world i mean some some silicon valley you know publication and author wrote that he actually literally is going to save the universe those were the words they used um and it's just the everything the difference between say ceos of 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and now, um, the environment that they're in is, it, there's so much more narrative that's being used right now. And that I think is a result of that we're working with less real capital. And now everything is all um, over-financialized. So, you know, because of that over-financialization, if enough people believe something is true, they can push money in that direction. That's not that's always been true, but because of the way things are now, it's just so much more true to the level of toxicity. Um, so, you know, that that's something we can kind of really tackle later, but um, this comes down to some, there are implications that in this story that, that really go rather high to a concerning level. Um, Sam Bakeman freed went to MIT and actually got himself a degree. I, I want to say it was in like physics or something. Uh, you know, so it's not like he is a, a, a complete idiot. Um, now, it might be, of course, that he had some help or, you know, I, you never know with these things. But, hey, you know, it stands on paper. He has an MIT degree. Um, and there's there's a connection with him and Gary Gensler, um, because Gary Gensler, who is now the head of the FCC, is a former professor at MIT. And then Glenn Ellison who is a professor of economics at MIT is the former boss of Gary Gensler and Caroline Ellison, the Harry Potter chick who is Bankman Freed's girl who he put in charge of their investment arm. She's the CEO of Alameda is the daughter of Glenn Ellison. Oh, okay. So yeah. you have Bankman Freed who went to MIT, a professor Gary Gensler, who is now head of ICC at MIT. 
You have Glenn Ellison, who is professor of economics at MIT and a former boss of Gary Gensler. And then what, what Bankman-Fried did with his Ponzi was he was able to create this token called FTT, which is the exchange token. And the way that exchanges work is that you use their token as a utility um, to, it's used sometimes in actual ways and other times it's just not an actual way. <laughs> it's just a nothing token. And in this case, it really is. Um, you know, exchange tokens are a whole another conversation. All exchanges have them. You can use them to stake. There, there's uses, but some exchange tokens are pretty much worthless and FTT is one of them. However, he was able to take FTT um, and Borrow. basically, what's that? Borrow against it, wasn't he? Getting yeah, he basically yeah. barred against it. It was a little more complex than that, but we'll just say, we'll just leave it at that. It was done through a company he created called Alameda Research. Now, I talked to guys at Alameda. A couple of them tried to uh, to hire me when I was working out in LA, but they're more of a quant situation. Those guys were quants. Um, I'm, I, that's not the kind of work I do. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I hate to say this, but I just don't work well with others. Um I mean, I, when it comes to this kind of work, I'd rather just be my own boss. Uh, and that's that. But, uh, you know, so I did not go to work for Alameda. Um, you know, I could have pursued that, but that's not, I'm not interested in that kind of work, especially quant work. But this Alameda is run by this this girl. And she, I mean, it's the same thing as Sam Bankman Freed. Like if you listen to her talk and I call her a girl, I should woman, whatever. I don't mean to be uh, more derogatory than I need to be. Um, but Caroline Ellison, is, she, she's, you know, this Harry Potter fan and she never, you know, I, I've never seen her in an interview dress terribly um, uh, professionally. She had, she's interviewing these people in what seems to be all these, I don't know, it's like an Instagram video practically or a, a, a TikTok video or something. And she's saying how she uses basic math and doesn't use stop losses. And she's, if she is a trader, then she is not somebody who should be running a company by virtue of her trading skills. I can say that certainly. I don't know what other skills she has. I doubt that. <laughs> I get the feeling, and again, this is all alleged, but the same with Freed. I get the feeling that these two were kind of put in charge of a situation because um, they could just be told what to do and they could be the face of the company. They could be young people who say the right things and uh, the company is just ran by other people. Um, so, you know, that, that's a kind of a, a gloss over of who these people are. Now, Alameda Research is the company that um, would do all the trading. So Sam Bankman-Fried would, through Alameda Research, borrow stable coins, which is basically uh, cryptocurrencies that are pegged to the dollar. And then they would go ahead and, and kind of wash that around and uh, create capital that just simply didn't exist before. Literally, it's a Ponzi. He even says in an interview, he he calls it like this magic box, and and you know the token doesn't have value, but now it does. And he in all for all intents and purposes, he admits to it being a Ponzi scheme. Um, however, because it has the blessing of whoever, um, you know, FTX exchange becomes you know it, it's a derivatives exchange in the U.S. By the way, which is really just unbelievable. Um, and I'm hearing people, oh, yeah, this guy's great. He's making strong moves. And, and I took one look at that guy and I'm like, this guy's not making any moves. Someone's making moves. He's getting yeah. credit. You know, this guy, he's, I mean, that guy, the only move he's making is to the fridge for his next, you know, snack by the look of him. So you look in the end, 
Um, there are allegations, and again, they're allegations that this money, a lot of the money that we gave uh, to Ukraine, actually what ended up going into FTX. Um, you know, he was a mega donor for uh, the Democrats, both in the 2020 and the 2022 midterms. Um, and I'm not going to just pigeonhole this and say he's only working for Democrats or whatever, because quite frankly, our Congress elected um, nearly unanimously, if not unanimously, to send so far what's approaching $100 billion to Ukraine. Um, but it's just kind of interesting how all of a sudden we're starting to hear about how um, you know United States is starting to want to talk to Russia and maybe calm things down in Ukraine and negotiations are starting to happen. And it happens like within a week or two of FTX going under. That's also rather interesting. Um, interesting timing that the United States should, uh, the United States stance should seem to soften around that same time. I'm not saying the two things are related, but they certainly happened around the same time, didn't they? Yeah. So, well, you know, um, so it fell apart. And basically, uh, this company has been in, under investigation or at least uh, inquiry, if you will, by the SEC for much longer than, you know, we've been told. Um, there's, I mean, there, are, I forget which CEO it was. It was a major financial firm CEO who in, you know, six months ago told con Congress that this company is a fraud. Um, you know, so he, his allegations are now, you know, I'm sure he has some vindication at this point for having put his neck out. Um, so, you know, it, the, the Ponzi fell apart. Um, and when it blew up, you know, here's the thing about Ponzi's and things like that. It's really easy to, when you have these political connections and things like that. And again, this is all alleged for this case, but in under any circumstance, when money is cheap, when interest rates are super low, and when you are working under a government and friendly with a government that has the ability to print money out of thin air, then these kind of constructs are just pretty simple to form because you have what is essentially an unlimited pocketbook and then you write the rules. But when money becomes more expensive and that construct is built in a flimsy fashion and they built it in a flimsy fashion because they could, right? But when everything started to fall apart with, you know, uh, uh, Powell started raising rates, um, things like that, money became much more expensive. And the weak foundation of this company started to take some hits. And you have big names out there. Um, I think BlackRock was heavily invested. I mean, I don't know what percent of their portfolio, but I understand there's big names out there. There's a company called Sequoia. I think I think they lost like half their money, if not you know all of it. I, I don't know the numbers on that. Well, I've heard the, that. Uh, didn't the on Ontario... Ontario Teachers Union have somewhere around $96 million. Poof, gone. Yeah, yeah. gone. What are you going to do? All those teachers retired. Were they going to live? <laughs> oh, well. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, why is the teachers union investing in something like that anyway? You know, p pensions uh, really should only be uh, AAA investments. They should be, right. you know, but, but the, you know, I did a whole show based on uh, money creation and and how, you know, non-banks such as hedge funds and pensions, um, they're kind of forced to take on riskier bets when the, uh, when the money becomes more expensive. And of course, Powell has raised the rates, um, you know, our financial structure and the rocket fuel that has pushed up all these assets over the years has now been kind of taken away because money has gotten more expensive. Right. A mortgage on a, on a million dollar home used to be five, 
you know, I don't know, five, 6,000, depending on what your loan size was. And that same mortgage is now 8,000 because of the interest rate changes. And that's a basic rough number. I'm just kind of pulling out of my head. But when you're, when (laughs) most companies run things to the penny um, because greed is the weed that kills. So in the current environment, and this kind of is again, hearkening back to this idea of how our, our current capital is based on belief in fake money. And that's so different than it was 50 years ago. And certainly 16 and 70 years ago that the companies have a certain kind of leadership where as much money is extracted by the board as, as possible because of greed and there's no reserves left over. So everything's run to the penny, right? Now, when you have accommodative financial conditions, you're allowed to create a weak structure because there's a sort of anti-gravity there because money is cheap. But when gravity increases because the interest rates go up and the money becomes cheap, that structure is no longer going to work. And all it takes is the right hammer to the right load-bearing member of that structure and everything comes tumbling down. And because of the way things are now with interconnectedness of leverage, you know, you have a company whose funds are leveraged in the first place. Just so you understand with leverage, as we discussed earlier, one thing that I want to explain is that if you have 10 times leverage, meaning that you borrowed uh, you know, 10 times as much money as your, your position size is 10 times as much as your, um, your margin, meaning you use a thousand dollars to make a $10,000, uh, bet, if you will, I hate using the word bet, I should say trade. Um, but if you do that, your profits increase 10 times as quickly. And that's just lovely when you're in the black, but once you start going in the red, you lose your money 10 times as quickly. And in this, it's heavier gravity situation of a weak structured company. When you have that kind of leverage, and the and who knows? Look, if you have ten times leverage, and then somebody bets on your company when it's already leveraged out ten times, and they have ten times leverage, that's effectively a hundred times leverage. So, right. you know, there's probably what two to four quadrillion dollars in leverage out there, and the economy is like what seventy trillion dollars a year in the world. So. You know, there's so much more leverage than there is actual assets that all it takes is a, a pin to pop, to prick the bubble and then it, it's a daisy chain. So, you know, FTX goes down, Sequoia goes down, Canada's, you know, Canada, Canada's uh, pension fund may or may not go down. I don't know the status of it now. Uh, the Brady's, you know, uh, the Tom Brady and his now soon to be ex-wife, uh, Gazelle Bunkin, you know, they lost, I want to say $500 million. I think they lost everything. I, I don't know. But it's it's really something else. Um, how when there's so much leverage involved, and everything else kind of gets hit, and that term is called contagion because of that that interconnectedness. So, um, and that's where we are. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, there there have been a couple of companies that went down prior to this that some theorists are saying that Sam Bankman Fried had something to do with. There was uh, Luna, uh, Terra Luna, that was a company that they had what's called an algorithmic stable coin, and there was a weakness in their structure and somebody exploited that. Um, my theory is that somebody, that same group who did that exploitation to bring Luna down also went ahead and went short on Luna before they did that. That's that's the, you know, sure. if <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, some, that's what you do, right? That's what you do. Yeah. If you, if you can if you know something's going to happen, then you make a bet on it ahead of time. And if you, the same person who's going to make that happen definitely knows. Um, also three arrows capital is actually that, that I've heard some reports and read some things that 
have that heavily under the implication of some involvement from Sam Bankman Fried and his group to to kind of help take them down. And these are all companies that went insolvent because they um, use leverage and the interest rates went up and the crypto market went down and their weak structures fell. So FTX um, actually is now the uh, the uh, you know the victim of that. So um, the next on the list is we're looking at Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is a huge company that is on like they're publicly traded, and so you know you have a certain amount of Bitcoin to create a share, and then people can simply uh, get exposure to Bitcoin's price movements through Grayscale Bitcoin Trust on the stock market. Um, and Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is, I don't know if the word owned is the right term, but I think they're under the umbrella of Digital Currency Group, DCG. I think that's what DCG stands for. I should know these things by heart, but there's just a lot of info to kind of rattling around in my head. But um, the question right now is whether or not DCG is, is solvent. And that's that's what's been going around because DCG is, a, is the 800 pound gorilla. Right. Um, when it comes to the crypto world. And that's what the uh, kind of all the talk is right now. So um, we're looking at at contagion that goes beyond cryptocurrency into traditional finance. Um, I doubt that your too big to fails are going to fail. Um, if DCG stays alive, I'm assuming it's because it has now been deemed too big to fail. But I don't know the internal finances of DCG yet. So, and, and nor I may never know it, but I know people who do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some things uh, I'm, I, I'm, I haven't been told anything, um, but I've asked certain questions and, and gotten certain non-answers that tell me a lot. So it's, it's going to be interesting. We're going to find some more things out in the next few weeks about DCG. So that, that kind of explains it all without getting into the nitty gritty of, you sure. know, this person and that per- person. And of course there's all the weird moral um, kind of weird things that go on. And, and look, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, I, I was raised Catholic. I kind of have the whole, you know, Judeo-Christian idea of a family. So I'm not saying that um, any other way is wrong. Um, but you know, these kids down in FTX, which is actually down in the Bahamas, you know, the, these kids all live together in some place, and they were all having this polyamorous relationship. And it, you know, the the world has gone in in such a direction of of excess and decadence. And I, I think that FTX is a microcosm of 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 that. That's a, it's a product of the environment, like I was talking about earlier. So, right. um, that was a lot. I just kind of vomited everything on on you right now on on the listeners. So, is there anything that I should maybe back up and clarify a little bit? No. Let Let me see if I can try to clean up all the vomit. Then, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The when you have uh, social trends and morals and ethics of a society or potentially the lack thereof moral and ethics in society it spills over into everything academia medical field government uh, corporations so do you see do, do you see let's say in the western world because we're both stationed here in the united states so it's maybe easy for us to speak for this homeland in the United States. Do you, do you see a trend? Do you think society is on a downward slope or a path of stabilization or improving 
what's your thought well society's morals and ethics and that would include entitlement do you see more trend towards entitlement and if there is a trend towards entitlement is that really ethical and moral to have that mindset what do you think yeah, simply put, there is certainly a trend towards entitlement, and I do not think that it is ethical, nor do I think it is moral. Now, do you think, in in your mind's eye, looking at society where it's heading, because I have my thoughts, but we want to hear what you think. If society is mirrored or it's reflected in, academia, the medical community, government, the corporate structure. Where do you see global economics and corporations in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years? Do you see the economy uh, getting healthier? Do you see it uh, correcting itself and becoming more ethical and moral? Or do you see deterioration? Or no, I can make a case either way. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that any organism that grows stronger in a laboratory, from what I've heard, I actually worked in a laboratory at a very, very low level. I mean, I was a you know, glorified janitor there. I, I didn't, you know, I don't want to overstate what I did in a laboratory, but I actually have a, a biology background. And um organisms that are given challenges tend to be stronger. Um, it's a simple, simple version is you go to the gym and you work out and your muscles grow. Um, you know, certain plants, when you give them harsher conditions, they yield better fruit. Um, you know, so I think that society has a disease. Um, I think also that we're undergoing some technological changes that are really kind of negating the fabric and the structure of society. So we're in the post-industrial era, supposedly. I think that's what they're calling it now. So the industrial era was such that they needed manpower to run factories. Um, and they'll always need some manpower, I think, I, I, at least for quite a while. I don't see robots running the world you know, this century. Um, yeah, I think there will be an, a need for for manpower, but I, I think that the need for manpower is less and less. So, you know, in a society where you have, and forgive the term, useless eaters, right? I mean, from an economic perspective, um, when you have that, then there's, there is a rotting, I think, that can occur. I don't think it has to occur. Um, you know, I don't think that is a necessary path when you begin to mechanize everything. Um, but, you know, kind of putting together and now Elon Musk is a guy who I have multiple viewpoints on. I, I actually don't trust him, um, but it, I do like some of the things he's doing and I do like the way he talks, but something in my mind doesn't trust him. Um, but what, you know, some of the things he's talked about um, and some of the, oh, what are they called? Uh, the intellectual underground, I think they call it, or the intellectual black market. I think there's a term uh, like Sam Harris, Joe, Joe Rogan has a lot of these guys on. Um, there is automation, artificial intelligence, 
Um, and you know, that kind of also comes down to the singularity. So I think that we're approaching a time when a lot of things will be automated and artificial intelligence will kind of take over some things and the need for humans when it comes to production is going to be diminished and we're seeing it now. And this trend towards entitlement has occurred because, well, quite frankly, whoever's leading society seems to think that it's okay to just give people money, money for doing nothing. Right. And I think it's actually part of a plan. Um, you know, I think that there's a certain faction of people in charge who feel that if they get people dependent on the government, then they'll be able to do what the make those people do what the government wants. And I think that's, I think that's legit. I think that is the way it works. I think that you're never or rarely ever going to argue against whoever is giving you your food. And so, um, you know, I do think that a lot of those same people have recently taken a certain experimental medication that may eliminate their ability to reproduce or even live. So I think that problem may end up solving itself. And I think that between that, I think between a lot of the moral decay that we're seeing um, and the economic decay, I think there is going to be a period of, of tumult. Um, and if we can make it through that, I think that whatever's left will be people who, you know, value hard work. Um, they they have a certain moral character. And again, I'm not trying to impose what I think is moral on people, but um, I just, I see a lot of things going on that I don't know that anybody can say is moral. Uh, and I think a lot of that will get washed away. Um, you know, and I think that we're entering a period where the battle is quite spiritual, um, you know, in a, in a, in a sense, and I don't think you have to believe in a particular God to see that. Um, you know, I do think that, oh man, I don't know if you want to go astrological, you can say it's the age of Aquarius, it can, you know, the age of, of ideas. Uh, if you want to go religious, you know, that's conversations you and I have had on numerous occasions. Um, so I think that if we can make it through, we end up stronger to really distill your question into a simple answer that if we can make it through this, this tumult and this change, and if we can adapt to whatever the technology is throwing our way, then whoever's left over will be a lot stronger and more, you know, we, we can say morally upright, I guess, um, without trying to impose my morals on other people. So yeah, it's, I think there's a cancer and it may kill us and it may not. And if it doesn't, then we're going to be stronger. The at at the top, let let's say, I, I've talked about this on Ethereal Underground and also some uh, Discord discussions. Uh, I I think that we've had a, a one world government and a one world religion for quite some time. It's been in the background, cloaked. Uh, there's certain evidences that indicate that being so won't talk about it in today's show because it's we're towards the end of the show that's an interesting topic at that level this this one world government one world religion it seems to me that they've made a decision less humans are needed as you pointed out ai supercomputers and robotics and uh they do view 
almost 100% of the current population is useless eaters. They use that term mm -hmm. uh, frequently. It seems like they greenlit uh, a while back a series of events to definitely thin the herd. So I think we're in, we're in a process of, of depopulation, uh, sterilization, shorter lifespans, and then if they push towards these mega cities, you'll be born, raised, and die in a mega city and never leave these cities. And then they'll have the ability through uh, genetic manipulation and um, supercomputers, uh, nanotechnology that they could preset someone's lifespan. And, and have uh, you seen the movie uh, The Island? No. It's with um, Ewan McGregor and uh, oh, who plays Black Widow? Can't think of her name. Johansson, Scarlett Johansson. And so uh, without ruining the movie, <laughs> I guess the movie's like 15 years old. I'm just going to ruin it. Spoiler alert. Okay. So they, um, they're, they live in this futuristic society and it's kind of odd because they're not very well educated. Um, and they're not allowed to touch like men and women can't be too close. And then you find out and, and everybody wins a prize and they go to the Island and you find out that these are actually people who they've been raised for organ harvesting. And so somebody gave their DNA to this company. And so the DNA raises these people in, into adulthood, but keeps them super healthy so that if somebody has like a bad liver, they can use their, their clone. And then if you, they call it the Island because inside of this civilization that if you, if you win the lottery, you go to the Island and you get to live on this Island and then they end up just being euthanized and organ harvested. Um, I think that's kind of a version of what they would like to do, these Malthusians of whom you speak. Right. Well, uh, if if they're, uh, they have the ability to do that, absolutely. The, so probably these movies in the past are more real than most people think. Um, do you, do you think I am a proponent of remaining organic, uh, not having your DNA altered by any means, being grounded, connected to nature, which is a cousin, definitely related to being spiritual. Do you think if an individual family or a, a small community wants to stay organic, and connected to nature and they opt out of the current world matrix, let's say the current world matrix is heading towards social scores, virtual reality, uh, transhumanism, they opt out of that. Do you think this higher level, this one world order type group will leave those people alone or will they chase after them, exterminate them with Boston dynamic bots of, of some sort. Do you, do you think that the powers to be would even allow you to opt out and live off the land and be a small off-grid community or would they just crush them like a Waco, Texas type event? Uh, well, I mean, if they became a threat, I imagine they would crush them. Um, but if you, 
they actually have this facility uh, in Scandinavia. I forget. I think it's Norway. And it holds all the seeds, the heirloom seeds. Yeah, Norway. It's in Norway. So the thing about like, say, corn, for example, um, you know, corn is one of the most genetically modified crops out there. And the the corn pollen will fly on the backs of birds all over the world. And there's corn that is so far away from anything that's officially GMO'd, but because of the way that the pollen travels uh, on birds is the theory, that they've actually found, like even in this supposedly heirloom, you know, corn that's in some cave in Mexico or something, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of making that last bit up, but they, they have, wherever it was, wherever they found it, they found the genetic modified signature in the DNA. So this place in Norway has encapsulated these heirloom seeds away from the air so that that cannot happen. Um, I think they may allow humans to stay organic because they still need seed crop. Um, and it might be that they allow humans to stay organic for a number of reasons. I, you know, I think that as long as you are not a threat to them, they may leave you alone. I think it might end up being like the next group of Native Americans who are moved from you know, one place to the next as they decide they need the land. Um, you know, if you believe the, uh, that whole video that came from the world economic forum about by 2030, you know, uh, you will, uh, own nothing and be happy. If you remember that video. Yeah. I, I already beat them to it. Cause that's where I'm at. I own nothing. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So I live in a van down by the river, so I don't have to worry about the interest rates of a million dollar mortgage. <laughs> well, you got me beat. I don't even have a van. Um, you know, I got a bunch of imaginary money that, you know, can't buy anything. It's the mystery machine. Uh, <laughs> I live in a Scooby-Doo van down by the river, but at least my life is simple. You know, if this was rogue, I'd start doing my Scooby-Doo and my shaggy impressions, which yeah. are pretty on point. I yeah. have them down. Yeah, you do. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, so that, that whole video also came out with, I think it was the same person who put that video together at the World Economic Forum, who also wrote an article and kind of outlined what that society would look like. And they described people that want to remain organic. They didn't say that term, people who want to remain organic, but people who don't want to live in the mega cities, they described them as people who would kind of source and have these like 20th century, 19th century style economies and live off the land. And I mean, they, they had, they made room for that in that reality. Now, mind you, we don't know if that, if they were just saying that to comfort those people and in reality they're going to exterminate everybody with drones i don't know you know you know you don't know what these people they lie for a living correct you know you don't know they they're they lie and they also tell the truth right you know i guess part of their occult system is they have to tell you what they're going to do ahead of time they can't not tell you because in the in the world of the occult there's something called uh i think it's called the law of contract so they need to tell you before they do something because if you don't do anything to stop it they, you've implicitly agreed and that's how that's how that works for them yeah i used to use that philosophy when i was dating oh <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's great <laughs> yeah, yeah. um yeah well I, I guess we'll have to wait and see i as you know on, on the the outer limits and, uh, and on discord i long time ago i i've saw the dynamics i read a lot of white papers and participated in or at least i was listening to discussions i knew 
where this was heading, where they were steering society. So a long time ago, at least 20 years ago, I made the decision to, to remain, remain organic. So I knew at a certain point in time, looks like we're coming close, that I'd be shut out of banking and the internet and having access to the world economic structure and the world social aspect. And I've been mentally preparing to be excluded from that future society and what it looks like. And then I started to develop and honing in skills of nature. So my science even shifted towards that, focusing on uh, the, you know, the ion uh, generations, the cold plasma for air and surface sanitization and water. And I knew that that would be helpful not only in the living environment, but would be helpful in agriculture and growing, for example, greenhouse growing. So I shifted 20 years ago, made my decision to remain organic, knew I was going to be shut out of society, viewed as an outcast, uh, perhaps didn't know 20 years ago, could be labeled a domestic terrorist because I'm growing my own tomatoes. But why right. do it? <laughs> um, so I developed my technologies accordingly. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to end up being like the uh, Gilligan's Island and maroon somewhere, uh, then I'll, I guess I'll be the uh, professor of Gilligan's Island, you know, where he's, he's working with the coconuts and some wiring that he had on the boat. So that's me. I'm kind of half MacGyver, half the professor on Gilligan's Island, but I've definitely pulled away from society. Uh, and emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So I'm definitely going kind of the more indigenous route where I'm connecting to the land uh, and not materialistic. I've simplified my life and I've changed my goals and my uh, spiritual direction. So I think I made the right choice. I guess time will tell, but it, each of us will have to make our own decisions, won't we? Well, we will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you know, I've had some some conversations, both one on one and and in groups, regarding that that whole concept. Um, and I've done the same. You know, I, I lived in a heavily populated coastal city, and I moved out to um, the country. Although uh, I, you know, not in the same state, and uh, I moved to a, a friendlier jurisdiction. Um. I'm still 30 minutes from three different Costco's though. You know, we haven't really gone full in, but you know, we have, I have enough land to where I could grow. I mean, I got enough land to grow enough food to, to like support myself if I really wanted to. Uh, I mean, financially in this current environment and certainly support myself with food in a different environment. Uh, you know, we have plentiful water where I live. I think greenhouse is interesting. Yeah. I think maybe when there's more time, you know, we can talk about what that looks like. Um, greenhouse growing, uh, you know, uh, there's a guy with a particular kind of greenhouse that uses geothermal. That's extremely inexpensive type of geothermal. And he's growing citrus in negative 20 degree weather because he's got the right kind of greenhouse. Um, and we, you know, we need the greenhouse to protect from uh, pollutants that are sprayed into the air. And you know, that's a whole, now one of the final notes, I mean, for, I'll, I'll say this, and of course you may, you may have some other final questions, but w the last thing that comes to mind is that, uh, you know, I don't have it locked in my mind that it's going to go there. I don't have it locked in my mind that 
<clears throat> that these people, these Malthusians are going to win. And, you know, that's not something I have locked. I think that, that, you know, uh, God or source or whatever word you have for it, um, is, you know, can come to the rescue that's possible and maybe already is. And maybe it's doing that through, you know, people who have a similar mind frame to us. Um, you know, we don't know what the future holds and we could simply end up being just fine. I mean, that's something I do hold as possible. Um, and, and I'm not going to say anything too explicit here, but when you see, say, large companies folding that were nefarious, um, that might be a sign that financial interests don't see that model as profitable and they took that company down. And I'm not saying that's specifically about FTX, but if you know, if you see, and I'm not not saying that, but if you see that kind of thing happening, you know, for for human beings to be moral and for human beings to be productive, that in the end is much more profitable than having useless eaters. And there are financial interests out there who feel that way too. And they run the world too. There's not, sure, one world government. Yeah, there, there's a lot said there, but there are also, you know, as uh, our friend Velas says, there's the warring elites. Uh, you know, they, they don't all agree on everything. And right. so, you know, I think we can make some room for perhaps somebody whose interests align more with us to have some victories. So that, that's my final unprovoked thought. Yeah, well, that sounds good. I'm glad you hopped on for episode two of your interview because I, I knew you'd have interesting take on current events since we spoke last. So I appreciate that uh, breakdown. And then when we schedule our in episode three, assuming we're we're still alive and able to do the interview, I'd like to get into more of the philosophical, uh, esoteric discussion. And we can probably jump into that pretty quickly and spend most of the hour on our third interview and get your take on that. Oh, that'd be great. I'd yeah, that's, that's the fun conversations I like to have. Uh, it's very entertaining for me to engage uh, conversations, individuals such as yourself. And I, I'm not heavy on entertainment. Got rid of my TV a long time ago and might see three movies a year if, if it's rented or if it's at a theater. That's not many, three a year, if that. So uh, that's because I spend my time in the lab, um, pedal to the metal as far as the technologies and health and agriculture. That to me is, is exciting. And uh, we have wonderful results of technologies. It's just we, our scientific group, we've decided to not go the corporate route, not to apply for patents or try to monetize. So we're kind of keeping it under the wraps, but we're, we're going to share it with off-grid communities. So if we, if what we suspect happens, and there's a great chasm, majority of people kind of go to the metaverse, virtual reality, social score, uh, vaccine injected route, and there's a handful that live off the earth and have this bartering 19th century type economy that you refer to we will release our technologies to that group of society. And so we're getting geared up for that. And that's what our plan is. 
but it's phenomenal, really interesting what we've come up with and what we're able to do as far as uh, cell, human, plant, and animal health, and human, plant, and animal growth. It's just off the chart. It's just that we're not going to release the information to the Silicon Valley type world that's existing right now. So How about leave- energy production? Do you have you anything on energy production? No, uh, I, the the scientific group that I'm affiliated with is uh, cellular nutrition, human, plant, and animal health, uh, nu- nu- getting nutrients into the cell and intracell transportation, and uh, addressing uh, contaminants, air and surface contaminants. The problem. I'll just say this. It's interesting you brought that up. The other group uh, and the ones that are working on energy, they're all dying. So I think I think they're being taken out. And I've yeah. lost two good scientists that were working on that project. Something is happening to them, uh, but none of us working on plants and waters, uh, we're having the same fate. So seems to me that when you deal with the energy route, anything that's over unity, uh, they don't live very long. So yeah, some, some there was that guy like there was that guy in the nineties who uh, he made, and you can see the video out there. I remember when it happened. I'm starting to give people, I mean, we're talking about Scooby Doo and a few things. People start to figure out how old I am, <laughs> but uh, I have a young voice. I'm not as uh, I'm not as young as I sound, people. But uh, yeah, there was a guy in the 90s and he developed an engine and basically it was like something to do with salt and water. And it got, you know, uh, some ungodly amount of miles per gallon and it didn't, you know, and the military became interested in right. his uh, in his tech. Wow. And all of a sudden it was shut down and, and he didn't live too long after that, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah. So that's a scary one. So no, I'm not. I am not in um, the energy side of the research, so I'm I'm strictly water, uh, cell nutrition, s- nutrient transport, colloidal, and air and surface contaminants. Okay. So yeah. I guess I'm still alive for now because it's to them. I guess it's not that threatening. My research. Yeah, because I think if we're gonna. Uh, you know, and again, this is this might be for the next time we talk, which you know I'm looking forward to greatly. And by the way, I really appreciate you having me on. This this is uh this is my second time, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I really it, I, I really enjoy having you on. This is this is great because we you're a good friend, and we can talk for hours, and, and I'm not stressed having you on. Um, I, I love it. So yeah, I hope we can have a third one. You know, as our schedules line up in in a month or two as long as the world's still spinning i think it will be i think i think we're gonna you know if on in the short term yeah we'll i think we're gonna see some more pain but i think the markets will turn back around next year it's all fake um it's it'll all just be based on financial chicanery um as far as i know unless they decide to release some technology they've probably been hiding um but i think that the big flip around to digital money like we talk about and all that i think that happens later this decade and i think it's 2028 and i can tell you why if you really want to know on the next episode i can give you my timeline and why i think that is i think 2028 is going to be the beginning of of the real ramp up 
Yeah. Um, I can I can see that. That yeah, that'll be good. For uh, I'll have to make some notes on there for our, our third interview together. Yeah, it's and I'm not I don't know anybody else who's put that timeline together like I have. Um, I had I had somebody asking me about the Bank of International Settlements, and I started doing a lot of research on their stuff and mm -hmm. and comparing that with some other things and. So I, I have a I have a pinpoint on 2028 is when we'll start to see the ramp up or ramp down, however you want to put it. Yeah. And I think they're going to print money and they're going to do another run up because that's what happened in 1929. You know, they they kept the market going far far beyond when it was supposed to stop, and they just you know the cattle, all the cattle knew, and that that's the that's us. Um, whereas if you just buy the dip, you make money, you know, and that's how they are now. And I think they're going to do it even bigger. So I think there's, I think there's opportunities. I think we're going to have opportunities to make some money in the next four years, five years, but that what you do with that money is going to matter a lot. So that's, you know, if, if you're taking notes, then that's a great talk in, in part, you should focus on the philosophical, but I could do a quick rundown on that. Okay. I'm writing notes right now. Okay, I got it. Yeah, that'll be a interesting third episode with with uh, you and me. Well, we'll wrap that up. Thanks, Nick, for coming on Ethereal Underground episode thirty two. So I'll, I'll get this loaded up and the MP four file, and then get it on the uh, podcast. So take me a few hours, and then uh, I, I can give you the link privately or. It'll show up on the Stitcher, Spotify, the Apple podcast. And uh, you have a good rest of the week. Tell your family I said hi, and then we'll, we'll stay in touch on Discord and other platforms anyway, um, like we have been. Awesome. Thanks, Jed. I really appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. Oh, sure. You're welcome. Take care, everyone. Until next episode, get out in nature. <laughs>